Salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Best Damn Movie Related Show on the Planet Earth, the John Campion Show, coming to you from right here on my YouTube channel. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies and movie news, television, streaming, all sorts of good stuff. And I'm joined today by the one and the only, and, you know, he's got a new movie out called Tango Shalom. He is Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, how are you doing today, sir? John, I'm doing well. It's a Monday. It's a new year. Uh, it, it's been a little crazier than I thought, but I'm looking forward to seeing what 2021 has in store for all of us. Um, and listen, uh, speaking of things in store for all of us, we got a little bit of house cleaning uh, to tell you about here. First of all, if you have not done so already or if you're new around here, why don't you take a second and click on that subscribe button, become a subscriber to the YouTube channel here. It'll keep you up to date on all the things that we've got going on around here. Also, uh, for those of you who may not know, we've been working on a documentary for over a year and it is now done and out. It is available worldwide. It's a documentary about movie trailers, the history of movie trailers, how they came to this point, significant landmarks in the development of movie trailers and why they're so important today, as long as some problems with movie trailers. And it is called Movie Trailers, A Love Story, and it is available now worldwide, whatever country you live in, you can get it today at vimeo.com slash on demand slash movie trailers. However, if you happen to live in the United States or in the UK, you have another option as well. You can also see it on Amazon. Simply go over to Amazon if you live in the US or the UK, search for movie trailers, a love story, and you should be able to find it there. And a big thank you to all of you guys who have already taken time to check out the movie, comment on it, rate it. It's been amazing. The response has been fantastic. But you know, around here, that's not the only movie uh, that's been worked on, Rob. You have been working for ages uh, on this <laughs> film called Tango Shalom, and uh, you just had a little bit of a development with it. What's going on with that movie? Well, we finally finished it. I dropped a trailer uh, for the film on a new YouTube channel, Tango Shalom, the movie. Please, please go, like, subscribe. We'll put all the information there. And what's interesting, John, is it debuts on the 19th of this month in Jaipur, India. It was accepted Ooh. to an Indian film festival, which to me, it's amazing that, you know, you work on things in obscurity. In this case, there was we worked on this movie in fits and starts when the money existed. We had to go make more money and use it for the film. And it's it's taken a while. But to have a, a film festival in India pick it up uh, is a real honor. And to think that, my God, how did that happen? <laughs> I, don't, I could barely get Americans to watch it, but to uh, to have it accepted at the Jaipur International Film Festival, which has films from all over the world, is a real honor. So yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's so exciting. The trailer's fantastic, guys. Make sure you go and check out that trailer once again. It's called Tango Shalom. Just look for Tango Shalom trailer on YouTube, and you'll be able to find it. Go check it out. Uh, give it a thumbs up. Comment on it. All that kind of good stuff. All right, guys, listen. We have a number of big things to talk about here today, and here's how today's show is going to go. We're going to spend the first half of the show taking our main topics, which you guys submit. And how do you guys get a main topic here on the John Campion Show? Well, it's really simple. If you come across a big piece of major news or, or issue of the day that you think we should have as a main topic here on the show, simply go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured 
as a main topic here on the John Campia show. Also, then in the second half of the show, we're going to go over and take your live comments and questions. And the way if you just got something you want to talk about or comments you want to make or an observation you want to make and you want it on the show, simply use the tip link that's near the top of the description of this video. You can just click on it there or you can enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's reasonable. And by the way, guys, Please make sure I see a lot of tip questions come in that are labeled as anonymous. That's what happens when you forget to put in your name right there near the top line. You see your name. Make sure you guys put your name in because if you send us a fun topic and if you support this channel, I want to make sure you guys get a shout out. So please remember to fill out that part unless, you know, you want to remain anonymous, which is totally fine. By the way, I should also point out that today's show, we've been having a technical issue with YouTube. YouTube is aware of the problem. They are working on it. We've been having a technical issue with YouTube receiving our upstream. So today's show is actually not live. Uh, for those of you joining us after the fact, we tried to do the live stream a little bit earlier. We realized just before we started it wasn't going to work. And so we are. this today's show is pre-recorded. And uh, our apologies to anybody who came to watch the live stream earlier. It was out of our control. But uh, hopefully we'll be getting this problem fixed sooner rather than later. Okay, guys. With all that down, let's get into our main topics today. And let us start with main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by... Nadia Fullman, who writes, Hello, John. I know it's not your normal cup of tea, but I just read that HBO is bringing back Sex and the City for another season. However, only three of the four main stars will return since it's public knowledge that Kim Cattrall and Sarah Jessica Parker hated each other. Uh, what do you think about HBO bringing back the series? And is it unwise to try to do it without the fourth member of the cast. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yeah, listen, before there was Game of Thrones, before there was Breaking Bad, one of the big, iconic powerhouse juggernaut shows out there that maybe some of you guys never watched, but make no mistake, a lot of people did, was Sex in the City. Rob, I, I remember I... You know, girl I was dating at the time was obsessed with sex in the city. I know a lot of women were obsessed with sex in the city. Dude, I remember when the movie came out, when the sex in the city movie came out, I wanted to review it anyway. And I was, I just, I had just started dating this one girl and we went. And when she showed up to my place for me to drive us down, she was like all decked out, like completely decked out her best shoes, her best outfit, her best bag, everything. And I thought, well, this is a little extreme. But then I got to the theater, Rob. There was only two other individuals in this 400-seat theater, completely packed. There was only two other uh, individuals who had testicles. That was it. It was me <laughs> and two other individuals that had testicles, and that was it. And all the women there, if you understand how passionate people were about this show, were completely decked out best shoot like we think us nerd guys oh yeah a new star wars movie we'll put on our jedi robes and we no 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 they did it first <laughs> they would cosplay up as their favorite sex in the city girls and go and it was an absolute juggernaut rob i still remember girls had this thing about what are you oh i'm a miranda i'm a carrie like every girl had their own designation Right. You don't see guys going, I'm an Obi-Wan. Oh, I, I'm a Tarkin. I'm a Jar Jar. No, that's how successful. Like you may not have watched the show, but just because you and your friends didn't watch it, don't underestimate how huge of a pop cultural juggernaut this show was. Oh. It, of course, had its run. 
then did two movies. The first movie was actually pretty good. And I never watched the show. I thought the first movie, second movie struggled. And I think most people acknowledge that, but there's been word for a couple of years about them wanting to do a third movie that came and went because Kim Tatrell said she would absolutely refuse to do it. And now comes word that they are doing a revival at HBO max. HBO max is going to run a 10 episode season of it. And it's only going to be those three women you see in the picture. Kim Cottrell is not coming back. She's not going to do it. Uh, This comes to us from the folks over at Variety who write, the new chapter is titled, And Just Like That, and will star Sarah Jessica Parker, Cynthia Nixon, and Kristen Davis. Kim Kim Cottrell, who played Samantha Jones in the original series, is not returning. Parker, Nixon, and Davis will also executive produce along with uh, Michael Patrick King. The revival will follow Carrie, Charlotte, and Miranda as they navigate love and friendship in their 50s. Uh, The series will consist of 10 half-hour episodes and is set to begin production in New York City in mid spring this again i understand is not going to be considered the biggest news in the world for a lot of regular viewers of the john campia show but make no mistake about how big of news this is in the entertainment world this is a pretty big deal now normally rob i don't like getting into the the tmz nonsense but this is directly affecting this show kim cattrall and Sarah Jessica Parker, there was rumors for years that they never got along or that Kim Cattrall never got along with any of the other members of the show. And that went back and forth. And a lot of times Kim Cattrall and Sarah Jessica Parker would deny that. And then it was just a couple of years ago, Kim Cattrall's uh, brother sadly passed away. And uh, this big thing happened where Sarah Jessica Parker got on Kim Cattrall social media where she posted about her brother dying and sent a kind of like, Hey, we're, we're so sorry to hear about the loss of your brother and you know, all that kind of stuff to which Kim Cattrall responded publicly F you like, you're just don't try to capitalize on my, my family's tragedy to make yourself look like a media darling or whatever. It'll make yourself look something. It's like, Whoa. Okay. So if there was ever any doubt about what's going on there. So the question becomes, is it a mistake for them to do this show now and attempt to do this show without the fourth member, because, you know, regardless of whether you think Sarah Jessica Parker was the more important person in that, um, in that collection or not, it's like trying to continue to do the Beatles without one of them there. I don't know. So it is kind of weird, but you know what? I think if they tried for years to get Kim Cattrall to get back on and do it, and she just doesn't want to do it. I don't think you let the boat sink. There's still going to be a ravenous audience there. HBO clearly needs the help. And we'll talk about that in our next segment. So I I think this is actually pretty interesting. And I think this is going to be a bigger hit with a lot of people than many of us think. Anyway, Rob, you hear about all this. What are your thoughts on this whole return of sex in the city? Well, I got I got to tell you a story. When I saw the first Sex in the City movie, I was in Bulgaria working on this film called The Hills Run Red, and we went to a movie theater. Bulgaria had surprisingly great movie theaters, and we went with some of the crew, a lot of female crew members. And after the movie was over, the female crew members were appalled. Oh. And they're like, "Are American women really like this?" Because they hadn't <laughs> they hadn't seen the show yet. And they didn't understand the materialism, the you know, the obsession with Manolo Blahnik's shoes and all this. And and we're like we were put in this weird position like well, some American women are like this, but it's an exaggeration sort of. But it was really interesting to see sort of a cross-cultural 
examination of the Sex and the City franchise that I wasn't expecting when the movie was over. I'm like, yeah, we'll go see. I, it never occurred to me that people just didn't get Sex and the City or hadn't seen it yet. I figured everyone knew. But it was interesting to hear women from a different culture respond to the film and, and the crass consumerism on, and shallowness on display. But look, I liked Sex and the City. It was, after all, it was a sitcom. You know, it was a comedy about women making their way in New York, and, and it's 25 years old. So what I really find interesting is that I to examine fictional characters, again, to me it's like watching Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. You know, you're watching these characters that you saw in their 30s, and now they're in their mid-50s, and they're, they're traversing how has the world changed, how has their lives changed. I mean, you would assume they're settled down now. They're still not women women stalking for prey in New York City in the form of men in business suits with fat wallets. You know, it's a whole different vibe. And I think it'll be really curious to see how they address these issues. I would assume that the humor is going to be different and more mature. And I'm excited, actually, because, look, I always watch Sex and the City for what it was. And I did feel that there was some insight into the female psyche in that show. And I'd never heard of, I didn't know the the designer labels for men that made shoes for women. <laughs> I didn't know that. And and you could bust that out. And I'm like, nice Manolos, man. And somebody would say, well, those aren't, Man <laughs> those aren't Manolos, but I appreciate you noticing my shoes. I'm like, yeah, I would never have said that had I not watched Sex in the City. But <clears throat> look, again, great characters, great writing could be good and the absence of samantha who is my favorite character is a bummer mm. but even then if they incorporate the idea that sometimes people's friends leave maybe she passed away in the continuity maybe she moved away you never know because she did move away in the show to california for a while to live with smith yeah so um i i i'm curious man you know i'll watch it i wonder if they'll be really bitter and say she died by getting ripped apart by alligators on a golf course or something. <laughs> I don't think they'll do that, but it they're going to leave the door open for her to come back because um, <laughs> reasons. I mean, so yeah. much I would watch. Uh, it would get huge ratings if Samantha came back. Well, we'll see. I think it's going to get huge ratings regardless. I really yeah, do. I, I think it will. So question is, guys. What do you think about this news? Hey, listen, like they said in the email, I know Sex and the City is not the cup of tea for a lot of people who watch this show, but you can't deny the huge pop cultural influence it had. What are your guys' thoughts? Jump down to the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Ryan T. And Ryan T. writes... Greetings and salutations, the John Campia Show crew. Okay, we all knew that Game of Thrones was the biggest show HBO had going for it, and the final season broke all kinds of viewership records. A bunch of us thought HBO would take a hit after Thrones finished, but it felt like everything was fine. But then Variety just reported that after the finale of, Games of Game of Thrones, HBO took a major dive and lost half of their viewers and have never been able to recover. Do you think this is why Warner Brothers is desperate to push HBO Max right now? Okay, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And um, listen, this is probably in, in no coincidence that this is also tied into topic number one. about Why is HBO bringing back Sex in the City? This might have something to do with it. So this is what he's referring to in the question, okay? This comes to us from our friends over at Joe Blow who writes, 
When Game of Thrones ended, the network saw a 51% loss of its adult audience ages 18 through 49. That's their prime demographic that they're looking for. They're 18 to 49 viewers. 51% loss after the series finale aired. The series finale was watched by 12 million viewers, and the report suggests that a lot of viewers bailed on HBO after the finale came and went. HBO has lost 38% of its overall viewers when compared to 2019. The dwindling numbers for the network are likely why HBO has been promoting HBO Max more aggressively. Critically acclaimed efforts like Westworld and Watchmen do have solid fan bases, but their numbers are nowhere near the heights of Game of Thrones. Rob, this is no small thing. This is no small thing. And and I have to now though Joe Blow was also getting these reports from Variety as well. This is this is confirmed stuff. We have all said, and I still remember back, Rob, when <clears throat> Game of Thrones was wrapping up and coming to its conclusion. Right. A lot of us were very much like, <laughs> they're 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 gonna have to scramble to try to keep them numbers. But you're right, the appearance that was made was that it appeared everything was fine. They just kept going. Now we're finding out that they lost over 50% of their main demographic that they look for and almost 40% of their overall... Wrap your head around that. 40% of your overall viewership that you had on your network, poof, gone. Rob, this not only to me says something about just how important Game of Thrones... We all knew Game of Thrones was important to HBO. I think even in our biggest estimations, we didn't even get big enough. I don't think we fully grasped just how important Game of Thrones was to HBO. We knew it was their crown jewel, but that important. But Rob, I think this information that we're getting from Variety is also putting into context a lot of stuff we see going on today with HBO and HBO Max. Their absolute desperation to push as many people to HBO Max as possible. The decision to take all their films in 2021 and try to put them on HBO Max. The fact that they're bringing back Sex and the City, which I still don't think is a bad idea. That's right. Bringing back Sex and the City makes sense. I get that. But it does put a lot of things in context. And even I, back then, when I said, yeah, I think HBO is going to take a hit, I never thought we'd be talking about numbers of 40% overall, 51% of your key demographic. I I just didn't see that coming. And if you're HBO who started getting comfortable over the course of seven plus years of being, hey, we got the, all these huge numbers, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden it disappeared. I'm not going to lie to you, Rob. This caught me by surprise. I was actually really kind of shocked to see these numbers. So for you, Rob, number one, how much of a surprise are these number levels to you? And how does it change or does it change at all your perception of the current context we see HBO Max and the moves that they're making at this point? What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, I think it shows all you can look at this as an indicator of what all streaming services have to deal with, which is that water cooler shows or premier shows that get a lot of traction. Look, they are really, really important to the success of any streamer. And uh, I had HBO and the only ever thing, the only thing I ever watched on it was Game of Thrones. And when Game of Thrones was over, I didn't much care about it. I didn't become a subscriber again until Watchmen. I mean, I kept it to Watchmen, uh, but then it went away. Now I hadn't had it until Wonder Woman 84 debuted and got, got HBO Max finally. And um, this is true of all streamers. And the thing is, you can't survive on one show. You've got to have 
you've got to have 10 shows or 20 shows. And how do you, how do you sustain that year after year, week after week, month after month? I went backwards there, but, or, but you know what I mean? You've got to have programming that people come to again and again and again, and not just one show. And imagine in the streaming wars, you're not just competing against yourself here. Like HBO is looking for the next Game of Thrones. They're competing against all the other streamers that have the new, well, it, whether it's The Boys or The Expanse or what, whatever your favorite Lord show is that you watch. Lord of the Rings that's coming up. Lord of the Rings, that's, got, that's a perfect example. And think about it, John. <laughs> the common model is these shows run eight, ten episodes. Well, what do you do for the rest of the year? How do you how do you get these water cooler shows one after another? And it really shows that content. We've always said it on this show. You say it all the time. Content is king. And when you're a streamer, you need content 52 weeks out of the year. And then if it's only one show, what do you do for the rest of the week when somebody's watched your hour long marquee program? How do you get them coming back? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, when they watch their one show Sunday night. I mean, it's it's a really this is a graphic illustration of how difficult it is to keep a viable streaming service going 24 seven, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It's tough. And content is king. You know, and that raises one of the big why this is such a mystery in many ways, because it's not like HBO had nothing else in the stable. You know, when you look at their catalog and their library, whether it's Deadwood or whether it's Sopranos or whether it's now, then you get even the modern stuff. Barry is a, people love Barry. Uh, Lovecraft Country, people love. The the uh, the Watchmen, people loved. And yet, even though they have some really good quality content, they haven't been able to make up those losses they had losing game of thrones and and you're right on top like you see all these other new series coming that are already here and they're coming it it raises a big question and will at&t and warner brothers continue to try to uh what's the word i'm looking for compensate for those losses by moving more of its movie division that way do they think that's going to make up for it i don't know it's a big question guys the question for you is what do you think of these numbers that we're seeing coming out of HBO that they've actually lost that many, they have not been able to recoup them. Do you think that is a direct reason why we're seeing them implement the strategies, quote unquote strategies with HBO max that they're doing now? Do you think it's a separate thing altogether? What do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to main topic. Number three, and our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Adam Gath, who writes, did you guys see the new picture and description of the new Sylvester Stallone movie, Samaritan? Um, you guys probably talked about it before, but I've never even heard of it. And it's now my most anticipated movie. What do you guys think? All right. Thanks for sending that in, man. And yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you guys see it. So we heard a while ago that Sylvester Stallone was going to be doing a, a new superhero movie, but not one. It was kind of kind of kind of be like Hitchcock in the sense that um, or was that the name? Yeah, it was Hitchcock, right? That was the Will yeah. Smith one where it's not an existing comic book superhero Han thing. Hancock. Hancock. Thank you. Hancock. Thank you. Hancock. That's what it was. Where it's not going to be an existing, you know, comic book property or anything like that. It's going to be its own sort of separate thing. And that to me 
was pretty intriguing. And now we've got our first look, Rob. We've got our first look at our first image uh, from the movie, which looks pretty badass. I'm not going to lie to you. I think this looks pretty badass where it's obviously, you know, him doing the whole traditional stereotypical shot in a superhero movie where the hero's got to stop a moving vehicle. So clearly uh, there's that there. And for those of you who don't know much about, well, what is this Samaritan thing about? This comes to us from Total Film that writes, a young lad learns that a superhero who went missing 20 years ago is living next door to him. Yep, it sounds like a powered-up Finding Forrester apt pupil, and Avery confirms as director that the tone will be grounded in humanity. But that doesn't mean it won't be one action-packed affair. This is a big event movie, says the director. We see our heroes kicking ass, Avery confirms. We're going to see Sly do things he hasn't done in a long time, and in a really inventive way. He's 73 years old. I'm amazed by how much he actually does. I am telling you, most guys in their 20s wouldn't be able to do what Sly does in this movie. And all I can say when I hear stuff like that is, sign me up. Like, I, I don't care. Sylvester Stallone's action stuff, the older he get, seems to impress me more and more. Like, even when he did uh, The Expendables, like, I thought initially, well, that's not going to work. How believable is going to be? But guess what? Once he started in on the action, it was completely believable. I, I never had a problem with it. Now he's in his 70s. Can he pull this stuff off? Well, now that it's not supposed to be just a regular guy running around, he's supposed to have superheroes. They can augment his natural abilities. And I think, first of all, the notion of a superhero went missing 20 years ago, finds out it's the guy next door, old man in the gray beard. That's interesting enough to me. Sign me up. You're adding Stallone in that, who, let's not forget, recently got an Academy Award nomination for Creed. As, as an actor, he got a Best Supporting Actor uh, Academy Award. He's a really good... Just If you don't know how good of an actor Sylvester Stallone can be, go watch Cal- Copland. Just just oh, go yeah. watch that and then come back and talk to me. You'll see how good of an actor he can really be. So, Rob, I'll tell you what. I look at this image. I hear about this. This looks great. This sounds great to me. What are your thoughts on the image that we saw? And, and what do you think about how this whole Samaritan project is sounding? Well, I, I've grown up since the 70s as a little kid loving Sylvester Stallone. I mean, all the way back to when he played Machine Gun Joe Viterbo in Death Race 2000, <laughs> pre-Rocky. Uh, to me, he's 74 now. He turned 74 in July, wow. last July. The guy, I mean, talk about a life well-lived. You know, he's father of three beautiful daughters. His, his wife is beautiful. He just keeps making movies that everybody enjoys. And I, I just love the fact that he is unstoppable. And now that he's going to make a superhero movie, I'm like, bring that on, son, to channel my <laughs> my inner John Schnepp. I mean, uh, come on. Who doesn't want to see that? Oh, yeah. I'll see this. And by the way, I still stay. I said this maybe five years ago at first when Stallone put out this image of him working out in his home gym and he just looks inhuman. Like he's the, the guy at his age still looks incredible. And I remember saying this at the time I said, you can still sign me up. If they ever decide to do a live action adaptation of the Dark Knight Returns, which they've done an animated adaptation of it, it yeah. that was really quite good. But if they ever decided they wanted to do a live action version, I am still all signed up for that being Sylvester Stallone playing, playing Bruce Wayne in his late 60s, even though he himself is in his 70s now. I'm all for it. Question is, guys. 
What do you think about the sounds of this Samaritan project? I think it sounds amazing. What do you think? Are you looking forward to it? Do you think, nah, this has kind of been done? What are your thoughts? Jump on down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into our fourth main topic today. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Jay, John, oh, speaking of Stallone, John J. Rambo. John J. Rambo writes in, so on my Twitter feed tonight, I saw that there was an award ceremony. That's right. There, a lot of people missed this. There was an award ceremony last night by the Critics Association, but it wasn't the real Critics' Choice Awards. It was by the same association, the Broadcast Film Critics Association, but not the real awards. It was called the Critics' Choice Super Awards, where they specifically awarded genre awards for superhero action and horror stuff. Honestly, it feels really condescending as a fan, like they're saying this stuff isn't good enough for their real awards. Anyway, the boor, the boys was the big winner of the night. What did you think of it? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, John Jay. And uh, yes, many of you may have missed it and can't blame you if you did. It kind of all of a sudden just popped up and appeared. Rob, I know tons of people in the Broadcast Film Critics uh, Society and Association. And I had no idea this Super Awards was coming. I had no idea. And I know most of the people who are belonging to that thing. Listen, generally speaking, the broadcast, uh, the, the, the I can't remember what the actual acronym is, the Broadcast Film and Television Critics Association, they're actually one of my favorite awards. Like that actually to me carries more weight. Uh, it carries certainly more weight than the Golden Globes do. But I, I've always kind of liked it. Now, I've been a little bit concerned about it in recent years because they seem to have been adding categories in recent years that just seem like they've only been added to try to appeal, desperately appeal to a viewing audience. Say, please come watch our shows. Look, we'll put in categories that you'll like. See? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and this is kind of the highlight of that. They specifically have these awards. For those of you who aren't really clear on, on what these awards are, this comes to us from uh, the Critics' Choice Association website itself. Produced remotely following COVID safety protocols, the ceremony was hosted by writer-director-podcaster Kevin Smith and actress-writer Danny Fernandez. I know Danny. She used to date Mark Fernandez. Uh, or Mark Fernandez. Mark, uh, uh, Mark uh, why am I freezing on... Ellis's name, Mark Ellis, on uh, Mark, she used to date Mark Ellis. Anyway, and honored the most popular fan-obsessed genres across both television and movies, including superhero, comic, science fiction, fantasy, horror, action, and animation. The full show will be available to stream for free on the CW app and CWTV.com starting tomorrow. So this already happened. So look, let's get the one thing out of the way first. I am a little bit torn on the fact that this even exists because on the one hand, like you wrote in, I do find it a little condescending. It's like, it's like you have the adult table at family dinner and then you have the kitty table at the side. And it kind of feels like they're saying, well, good for you, little genre shows, patting them on the head. Good for you. You're so big and grown up. Look, we've got your own little table over here. Cause basically in, in, in essence is saying, you don't really belong with the big boys. You don't belong with the real stuff. So we'll create the little kitty table for you. So that's kind of like one half of my mind. The other half of my mind kind of thinks, well, you know, 
uh, bravo for creating something to give some attention and to give some due honor to some of these programming to some of this programming so i i, I gotta admit i'm a little bit torn on one hand i think it's kind of a good thing on one other hand i think it's a little condescending so maybe i mean i don't know i'll figure out how i feel about it maybe over the course of the next year uh for now let's take a little bit of a peek at what it was that won and yes the boys was the big winner of the evening it won more awards than any other movie or tv show winning four let's and some of these are very questionable rob some of these are, are very very questionable but let's run down uh some of these winners shall we okay best action movie was to five bloods i consider to five bloods really more of a heavy drama than an uh yeah so they just wanted to honor the five bloods. Okay, fine. Uh, best actor in an action movie, Delroy uh, Lindo, Defy Bloods. Again, if you're going to call Defy Bloods an action film, I got no problem with Delroy Lindo winning that award. Absolutely. Best actress in an action movie, Betty Gilpin in The Hunt. I can't agree with that. That 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 movie was bad. The performances were cardboard. I think that's what the director wanted the, the performances to be. So it's no knock on any of the actresses in it. But when you have Charlize Theron, uh in old guard and, and and you make this anyway so again they're just trying to spread it around best animated movie was soul best actor best voice actor in an animated movie jamie fox for soul no problem with that best voice actress in an animated movie tina fey for soul again i got no issue with that best superhero movie the old guard from netflix uh, I got no problem with that, considering they, I guess, I guess it fits. It's a superhero thing in a way. They are immortals after all. Uh, best actor in a superhero movie. I don't get this. Best actor in a superhero movie, Ewan McGregor. Really? I love me, Ewan McGregor. Yep. I love me some Ewan McGregor all day, every day. But really? His performance in Birds of Prey? Again, this is just the broadcast film critics wanting to spread it around. Say, look, guys, we're honoring your move, whatever it is. I, I, especially when you consider some of the performances in Old Guard and others. But all right, you want to call that? Okay. Best actress in a superhero movie, Margot Robbie, Birds of Prey. Again, no way. I love Margot Robbie. She's amazing. She is an Academy-level actress. But to say she was better in that movie than Charlize Theron was in Old Guard, and you've already said you're calling Old Guard a superhero movie, to me is kind of laughable but whatever uh best horror movie the invisible man i have no issue with that best actor in a horror movie vince vaughn and freaky i still haven't watched freaky and i want to everybody i've talked to who've seen it says it's really good yep so i i so i can give no comment on that i can give no comment on that uh but really it's kind of more of an comedy but okay i'll call it a horror i didn't see it so i can't say best actress in a horror movie elizabeth moss and the invisible man no issue with that uh best science fiction fantasy movie palm springs no issue with that uh best actor in a science fiction slash fantasy movie andy samberg palm springs best actress in a science fiction fantasy movie Kristen Miloti for palm springs best villain in a movie jim carrey for sonic the hedgehog and you know what rob i'll tell you what when i first read that one I, I, my first thought was come on but then i thought about it and you know what jim carrey was the best thing about that he was i mean there's there's a lot of good things about the sonic movie jim carrey easily steals that entire show and so the more i thought about it i was like all right you know what if you're going to create this award and create this category 
I, I can buy into Jim Carrey getting that because he did steal the movie. I mean, he completely dominated. He was terrific in that film. All right. Uh, best action series, Vikings. Uh, best actor, and again, no issue with that. Best actor in an action series, David Diggs in Snowpiercer. Best actress in, a, in an action series, Angela Bassett in 911. Again, you can just see them spreading it around. They just want to spread this around. Uh, best animated series, Bojack Horseman. Best actor in an animated series, Will Arnett and Bojack Horseman. Best voice actress in an animated series, Kaylee Kuko and Harley Quinn. I love Harley Quinn, so I got to give it that. Best superhero series, The Boys. See, that's interesting. I regret that they didn't list for me the nominees. Because obviously it should have been Umbrella Academy. It should have been Doom Patrol. You could have thrown in Flash there, I suppose. Watchmen could have been oh, yeah. in- included in that. I, But you know me, I love The Boys. So The Boys took home the best superhero series, best actor in a superhero series, Anthony Starr and The Boys, who of course plays Homelander. No, I have no issues with that. There's a lot of great performances in all of these series. I have no issue with Anthony Starr getting that. Best actress in a superhero series, Aya Cash, uh, who, have, who played Stormfront. This season, she was great. She was great. I got. I take no issue with that. Uh, best horror series, Lovecraft Country. I don't know how many potential nominees there could have been for that, but okay, I'll give it that. I loved Love Lovecraft. Uh, best actor in a horror series, Jensen Ackles in Supernatural. Uh, you know me, I'm a supernatural guy. Best actress in a horror series, Journey Smollett in Lovecraft Country. Best science fiction fantasy series, The Mandalorian uh, on Disney Plus. No brainer there. Best actor in a science fiction fantasy series, Patrick Stewart in Star Trek Picard. And Rob, I've, ever since I read that, I've been, I've been dying. Let, let's get back to that in a second. We'll finish off these last two. Best actress in a science fiction fantasy series, uh, Natasha, I never know how to pronounce her name, Demetriou from What We Do in the Shadows. Love it. I love that show. And best villain in a series, Anthony Starr, Homelander, The Boys. Again, that to me is is. No contest. So look, we can talk a lot about the boys and we will in a second, but I, you know me, I really enjoyed the Picard series. I know you did not particularly love the series, but with Patrick Stewart getting best <clears throat> actor, I don't think you and I've ever had a discussion. I honestly don't know what your answer to this is going to be. I obviously thought Stewart was brilliant. I thought he truly played Picard um, and I loved him in it. So I have no issues with this. And you and I've never talked about this. What do you think about Patrick Stewart getting that award? Look, Patrick Stewart's a fantastic actor. I I have no qualms with him. I I just think that his character, the character as written in the Picard show, is not Jean Luc Picard. Oh, I disagree. I I think that they were doing something that was totally uh, out of character for him. They were they were writing Logan in space, and that's what they they were taking cues from that movie. And I felt that he was out of character, but that doesn't mean he wasn't good in what he was given to play, which he was. So let's talk then for a second about the boys. I mean, I I don't think we're going to see the boys winning any Emmys. I don't think we're going to see the boys winning any overall film critics uh, choice awards once they get to their real quote unquote real show. But uh, again, it, it can't be emphasized enough. I think we are living in such an age where we have Doom Patrol. We have the Umbrella Academy and we have the boys all on TV right now Mm. running concurrently. It's incredible. I, I often go back and forth about what my favorite is. I probably more often than not land on the boys. The boys is just, it's great. You know what it is, Rob? It's what the boys and what really all three of those shows, the boys, Umbrella Academy, Doom Patrol really do. They take very serious, big real life issues and then wrap them in this package of bonkers craziness 
and they deliver something so completely satisfying and actually has depth and meaning to it, but kind of fooling you, you know, it's like they, they take broccoli, but they hide it in a scoop of ice cream and you don't realize you're ingesting something really great and nutritious for you because they put an ice cream veneer on it. And it's part of the brilliance of this show. And, and I absolutely love it. Rob, your thought about uh, the boys really being the top winner of the evening that night. Well, I love the boys. I have to say that, though, that, you know, there's another award show, the Saturn Awards, that have been around since 1973. Yeah. By the way, there's I think I see one on your shelf behind you there. Uh, you do. I won in 1999. Uh, my film Free Enterprise won Best uh, Home Video Release. But they've been giving out awards since 73. You know, they used to have a big televised show. Shatner famously hosted one year. That's where his Rocket Man rendition came from. And that was in the 70s. And it seems like, you know, they've they've always tried to get more. The Saturn Awards are usually a pretty star-studded event. And they've been doing this exact same kind of thing, well, for almost five decades and it seems like these guys are trying to steal their thunder a little bit. So that's why I was like looking at this award show going, huh. I mean, Kevin Smith has come to the Saturn Awards, but look, I think it's great that they're honoring these shows, but I think the boys is good enough to compete. You know, John, we've had to deal with science fiction, fantasy and and horror as a genre being call it whether you call it ghettoized or whether you call it lesser or whatever. It's always had a stigma to it. I mean, until Lord of the Rings swept the Academy Awards, people like fantasy films. Silence of the Lambs was like really the first horror film that won an Academy Award. And I've never understood why these beloved genres are not taken as seriously. The boys, just because it's about superheroes, it's also about America and consumerism and fascism and politics and loyalty and all of the great themes that any great story is about. But just because it's about superheroes, it's what? Is it lesser than Breaking Bad? Is it lesser than Better Call Saul? I would think it's even harder to attack the issues that they're attacking in the boys in a fantasy context. And I would say a, a show that can do it as well deserves to be honored. Yeah, I, I agree. The show is absolutely fantastic. And they, they do tackle these issues and all this kind of stuff. Mm. And look, I, like we never try to we try to avoid politics here at, at all times, but we just saw something, which, whichever side of the, the aisle you're on, we just saw something happen in real life that very frighteningly mimics what we just saw in The Boys. There was an episode in The Boys that starts with, you know, Homelander and Stormfront calling, you know, calling out certain things and blah, blah, blah. And we see somebody, this dude watching them talking about that, that then brings him and motivates him into violence at the beginning of that one episode of thing. And we yep. just saw that play out in real, like we just saw that play out. We just saw that opening of The Boys play out in real life. Yes, we did uh, in our in our country. So it's it's really interesting to see that these shows, in particularly the boys, Umbrella Academy, Doom Patrol, take these real issues, wrap them up in this way. And I I agree, Rob. The the accomplishment is incredible, and uh, they should get real things. And my my thing would be this: I'm still torn about whether I find this whole thing condescending by the broadcast uh, association or whether it's a great thing. But I will say this: if you really want to make a statement, at least at minimum, bring these. Sh- categories into your real show into your actual award ceremony yep. more than that i want to see if they actually have the testicular fortitude to actually if they're saying that the boys is the best out of all this i want to see if they have it to actually nominate it for best series not just best superhero series are you going to nominate it for best series because it should be 
But anyway, that's just kind of my thought. Question is, guys, what do you think about these things? Do you even consider these real awards? Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But regardless of that, how do you feel about the results that they saw that we saw there? Jump on down to the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's do one more topic. And this is really kind of an off the top, but it was big enough that I wanted to put it near the end of the show regardless. You guys know that one of the big issues uh, surrounding Marvel and the MCU lately has been, what are they going to do with Deadpool? We know they're going to do Deadpool. Is he going to be in the MCU? Is he not? Is he going to be rated R? Is he not? We started to get signals and uh, uh, indications that they were going to make it rated R. And that brings up the question, then will it be in the MCU or will it not? We go back a little over a year ago to Bob Iger talking about and, and heavily implying that, yeah, we can do R-rated material, but we're going to have to handle it in a certain way to, to, to differentiate it from this, from this. And he really implied that they were they may very well keep Deadpool in his own separate universe. Again, we've always said Bob Iger can change his mind and it looks like his mind has been changed because it's now official. Kevin Feige has confirmed that Deadpool 3 will be rated R and will indeed be in the MCU. There might be some interpretation there. We'll talk about that in a second. Let's go over and see what Kevin Feige actually said. He said the following. Speaking about Deadpool 3, he said it will be rated R and we are working on a script right now. And Ryan, that's Ryan Reynolds, uh, is overseeing a script right now. It will not be filming this year. Ryan is a very busy, very successful actor. Uh, we've got a number of things that we've already announced that we now have to make, but it's exciting for it to have begun. Again, a very different type of character in the MCU and Ryan is a force of nature, which is just awesome to see him bring that character to life. All right. We always say, guys, it's not official until somebody from the studio actually says it. Well, we've now got Kevin Feige himself confirming and affirming that Deadpool 3, number one, we already knew it was happening, but it is happening, number one. It's going to be rated R, and he at least seems to imply that it's going to be in the MCU. Now, let me address this first so we can get out of the way. You could, there could theoretically be a way at, of, of looking at Kevin Feige's comments there and maybe saying he's just generally referencing the world of the, of, of Marvel. He didn't actually come out and say specifically Deadpool three will be set in the MCU as an R rated property. There could be a way of looking at that. There, there could be a way of looking at that. Again, though, I go back to it when we look at the specific wording. It does says, again, a very different type of character in the MCU. So I think at this point, we can interpret Kevin Feige's words as saying that it will be in the MCU. And we'll leave it up to Kevin Feige to correct that later if he so chooses. But because of the wording for now, I, I'll take it literally that it's saying it's in the MCU. If he needs to correct that and say, no, 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 I just meant in Marvel, not necessarily in the MCU proper. We'll let him correct that later. For now, let's go on the assumption that he means in the MCU. Rob, this represents a change of course than what Bob Iger implied they would be doing a little over a year ago. Now, granted, I, you and I both said, Rob, 
like a year, year and a half ago, whatever, we both said, we don't think they actually know what they're going to do with Deadpool yet. We've been saying this for a long time, that we didn't think that they had made an actual decision yet, that they hadn't made up their final mind about what they're going to do with it. And that while I believe this, I'll be straight up front. I believed that they would do one of two things, that they would make him PG-13 and in the MCU. That's what, you know, again, that's what kind of Bob, or, Bob Iger did, or, or they'll make him R- and treat him like Fox treated him. Yeah, it's sort of connected, but he's really in his own universe, really. So I thought they'd do one of those two things. But they kept the their options open. Bob Iger, obviously with Alan Horn, obviously with Kevin Feige, obviously with Ryan Reynolds, have probably continued to debate and discuss the merits of how they're going to approach it. And it seems like they've got a change of heart. It seems like they've changed their mind from a year ago, which is something that can happen here. And we're seeing this. And it seems like it's going to be rated R in the MCU. Going back to Bob Iger's original concerns, I don't know how they're going to navigate this. And now first for me as a fan, I love it. I, I, I can't wait to see Deadpool doing his thing and, you know, flipping off and cussing out Spider-Man or whoever it is. He's going to talk about, you know, certain maybe sexual improprieties on behalf of Tony Stark. And I don't know what he's going to do, but it is going to be problematic about how do you tell audiences that and, and parents that, yeah, this Deadpool character that we've got in this larger team up movie that is PG and PG 13. And then six months later, we're putting out a standalone Deadpool movie and little Bobby sees, oh, that's Deadpool from the Avengers movie I just saw. And now he wants to go talking about that and they're talking about ass to mouth and they're talking about everything else that I'm sure Deadpool is probably going to incorporate into it. That's going to be an interesting way to see how they navigate that. Maybe that's something that Ryan Reynolds is working on right now. So I'll tell you what, Rob, I do stand. We always knew this was a possibility, but I'll be honest. I'm a bit surprised by this. I thought they would go in another direction. I don't know how they're going to manage this, but obviously Kevin Feige is a forward thinker. He doesn't just announce things and think, I'll figure it out later. They've clearly got a philosophy and a strategy for how to do this. Now we just got to see how it turns out. Rob, let me ask you. Number one, do you think this is the do you think this is the right decision for them to be R and in the MCU? Could this lay out a blueprint for future MCU things? A lot of people wondering, is Blade going to be rated R? Can, does this open a door? Does Deadpool being rated R open a door for a Ghost Rider, a, a revitalized, rebooted Ghost Rider rated R to come into it. How will they make these things intermingle yet show a clear distinction line so it doesn't confuse parents or families who Bob Iger is very concerned about? But what are your thoughts on this in general? What do you think? Well, I mean, there's a lot there's a lot to say about about this and, and there's a lot I don't know. But look, I like the idea. I think now that they're embracing the idea of the multiverse over at the MCU, anything's possible. And, you know, maybe maybe Deadpool gets pulled out of one. I mean, John, the idea of the jokes that could be made going from the X-Men universe into the MCU universe that Deadpool can make, the possibilities of that are endless. And I, I just think it's <laughs> I, I just am thinking about the idea what Ryan Reynolds would possibly say makes me just chuckle um and and <laughs> the fact that he looks around one there's no mutants yet and and, and two like nobody knows who the x-men are and and he looks around like who are these chumps captain america are you kidding me what is this the hulk who are these people you know i mean it could be really very funny and i i think that 
It's a good idea. I, I, look, how they're going to caress it all into the with families and the rest of the MCU, I don't know. But you know what? The world understands the audience of Deadpool is the audience for the MCU. They get it. They understand. And, it, it, you know, Deadpool didn't make $750 million twice times two uh, for nothing. And I, I think they can now understand that the audience for, for Deadpool and the audience for the MCU, they under, they'll, they'll get it. They'll, they'll come along with us on this journey. So I'm excited. I think they're embracing what they should have embraced from the beginning. I think they're loosening up a little bit. WandaVision, it's going to be really interesting to see. You know, I don't know if you read that article about WandaVision, but they said that even in the WandaVision show, there are commercials TV commercials. Oh, I had heard I, that. No. I don't know if they're in in universe or how they're going to do it, but the commercials are about like Hydra, and I'm like, oh, I'm I'm so in, I'm so in about this. So I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe is like, look, man, we already proved ourselves with the Infinity Saga, 23 movies, average box office, one billion dollars a piece. So it's this new out of the box thinking where anything goes, and that's what's going to make the Marvel Cinematic Universe viable moving into the next decade so i can't wait i think they're gonna I, I just i can only imagine the jokes and who don't you think every marvel universe star would clamor to do a little bit in in deadpool just because they're i'm sure they're ryan reynolds is friends with everybody that, i'm sure he could just call up and go hey would you come in and do this i'm sure they'd be like yes ryan yes i would i can't even imagine what it's going to be like it's going to be hilarious Here's the here's the potential problem, though. You bring up a very valid fact when you say that people who are into Deadpool and who are Deadpool's audiences, we're go they're going to get it. They're going to understand this is going to be a problem. I don't think those are the people Bob Iger was ever worried about. It's it's the Marvel and and Disney and whatever fans and families <clears throat> who aren't into Deadpool and aren't Deadpool's audience. Those are the ones that I think uh, Feige, I, not Feige, but Iger was at least worried about. They're the ones that are going to be the potential problem. Obviously, people like you and me who are totally into Deadpool and the way he is portrayed by Ryan Reynolds will get it. To, to us, it's not a problem. But I don't know, maybe to, to Jesse and Barbara who've got two little kids and they sit down and watch Marvel movies with them. I mean, this it, this is the part that's going to be interesting to see how they manage it. So, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. But again, guys, this is going to be very exciting news to a lot of people. Kevin Feige himself has said, number one, can't be misunderstood. Deadpool is going to be rated R. So there we go. And Ryan Reynolds is at the helm right now. Number two, he's at least seems to be implying that it's going to be in the MCU. Now, one other part that we should look at here uh, just before we, we skip off this issue is again, he's just kind of saying here that this this is not going to be shot this year. All right. He's overseeing a script right now. It will not be filming this year. Notice he doesn't even say it'll be filming in 2022. Uh, Ryan is very busy. He's successful. He's got a lot going on. They're just in the, in the process of making this. So this theoretically, Rob, could be a movie that we don't see until 2024, 2025, depending on what the plan is right now. Your best guess, knowing that cameras at minimum won't be rolling in 2021, when's your best guess that we might actually see this film on screens? I would say 2023. You're gonna go. You're gonna go real conservative on that and say it's or aggressive. Yeah. Say 2023. Yeah. Because these films are, I, I think, you know, they're, they're not like they don't have the, as long a production time. 
or at least they haven't. And if they kind of keep the productions managed the way they did with especially the first Deadpool, um, I think we could see it sooner rather than later. I'd say 2023. I'm going to go late 20, 2023. I'm going to go 2024. I don't think it'll be a long, as long as 2025. I think it'll be 2024. I think Ryan Reynolds's dance card is probably, I'm going to guess, is probably filled up through this year, maybe even part of the next, but we'll see how it goes. Question is, guys. What do you think about this? Are you excited about this news? Are you a little bit apprehensive? Do you wonder how they're going to make this work? Do you think it's not going to be a problem? When do you think we're going to finally see Deadpool 3? Jump down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys, with all of our main topics out of the way, Robert Meyer Burnett's a busy man, just like Ryan Reynolds. He's got things he's got to run and do. So, Rob, thanks a lot for being here today. And in the meantime, where can people follow you and your adventures online? You can find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. All right, dude. Thanks a lot for being here and we will see you again tomorrow. Have a good one, sir. All right. All right, guys, that is the one and the only, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. And now with that stuff down, guys, let's move on and start taking those live questions, those live tip questions you guys have been sending in. Once again, if you want to know how to do that and see your comment question or, you know, observation, whatever on the show, simply use the tip link down in the description of the video, or you can enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movie blog TV slash tip. Once again, getting your comment or question on the show, if it's reasonable. And of course, you're supporting the channel at the same time and all of us involved here with the show thank you guys so much for that support all right let's get on over and start taking those questions shall we and we're going to start off here with salvation who writes hey john hope you are well i am doing well thanks here is something to think about for fun regarding flash and other universes with us discussing older batman etc imagine in another universe lucy lawless cameo as an older wonder woman i too was disappointed with wonder woman 84 I could take or leave it. I To me, ex-actor or ex-actress in ex-role, I don't really care, just as long as you put in a good thing. It would have to be far outside of the of the uh, what they're doing because what is old Wonder Woman? I mean, for all we know, we know she's minimum a couple of hundred years old. She could be thousands of years old at this point. So how far into the future would you have to go to say Wonder Woman has aged from, say, Gal Gadot's age to Lucy Lawless's age? And I love Lucy Lawless. By the way, everybody thinks of Xena. I think of her in Spartacus. Lucy Lawless in Spartacus is the balls, man. She's great in that. Anyway, that would be an And yeah, I think a lot of us were disappointed in Wonder Woman 84. But a lot of people really liked it. A lot of people really liked it, which is great. All right, let's move on here. Next one up comes to us from Preston the Kryptonian who writes, Hey, John, my friend had an idea for the next Black Panther, not T'Challa. It should be Dave Chappelle. Uh, the Wakandans will ask, why should we answer to you? And he will answer, because I'm rich, bitch, which is typical Dave Chappelle thing. But listen, let's not forget. Dave Chappelle is actually not a bad actor. I, Anne and I, on New Year's Eve, because we were all quarantined, on New Year's Eve, Ann and I decided to watch uh, You've Got Mail, the Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan film. It's wonderful. It's so good. I totally forgot that Dave Chappelle is in that, which is great to see. But also you go back to like A Star is Born with Bradley Cooper, right? He's really quite good. He didn't have a huge role, but for what he was on screen, he was really quite good. So let's not forget Chappelle himself actually has some pretty decent little natural acting chops too. All right. Mischievous Gremlin writes, hey, John, um... Uh, in my opinion, I really didn't think Ray Fisher cyborg movie was ever going to get off the ground. I just don't think it was a movie people would have been interested in. I could be wrong, but a teen Titans movie would have interested people more. Well, here's the problem though. 
I don't think you were, you couldn't use, I don't believe um, that Cyborg was a teenager in the DCEU. I mean, maybe he was. I don't think they were ever really clear about that. It seemed to me like he was playing professional football. So I don't know if Ray Fisher's iteration of Victor would have been appropriate for a teen Titans. I, I Listen, doing a cyborg movie always was going to be one of the riskier ones. But if Marvel can do Ant-Man, then why couldn't you try Cyborg? I think Cyborg, I think, Cy, listen, I'm not cy- saying Cyborg would have been a hit any more than I think a Hawkman movie would be a hit. But it had the potential. I mean, like I said, if, if Ant-Man can work, if Guardians of the Galaxy can work, that doesn't mean it will work. It doesn't even necessarily mean the chances are high that it'll work, but you got to acknowledge it had the potential to work. So, I mean, there's that as well. I guess we won't know now uh, moving forward, but who, who knows? Maybe they'll reboot uh, Cyborg as a younger dude. Maybe they will do a Teen Titans thing someday. I don't know. A lot of potentials up there in the air right now. Thanks for writing in, Mischievous Gremlin. All right, next up, Film Boy writes, Hey, John, can't you just Skype slash Zoom Aaron into the show? I'm a fan of Rob, but no offense. I'm starting to miss Aaron. Oh, I miss Aaron too. The problem is Aaron doesn't right now have the right setup uh, to properly do it because I like you see the quality that Robert comes in with is is better quality than ESPN has with when they're bringing in their guests. I want the quality to be of a certain standard because I believe the people who watch my show earn uh, deserve that to have the best possible thing we can do. I need an opportunity to be able to get over to Aaron's, really evaluate her situation, get her the equipment she needs to do a really good, proper stream. Uh, because without that level of quality, I don't want to pedal off lower quality, a lower quality viewing experience to my audience. We will get this worked out. We will. Uh, take Because I'm missing Aaron too, believe me, but we will get this worked out. All right, next up. Uh uh, a train a writes, John, I don't know why you're surprised that Dune isn't on people's anticipated list. I really think you have, uh, have to give your Batman beyond speech to yourself in that nobody knows or cares about Dune. The book is not Harry Potter famous. The movie wasn't uh, big either. Uh, also the trailer, honestly horrible, because if you're not a Dune fan and have no idea about the lore, which is 99% of the average person, then you have no idea uh, what the hell is going on? I'm not saying it won't do well, but I don't see why people th- uh, people care. Well, I mean, there's a couple of things to that. Number one, I think people in the know know. Like, I don't suddenly expect my cousin up in Canada who doesn't know anything about Dune to have Dune on their most anticipated movie list, right? I do expect, and I generally find my more cinephile friends do have Dune very, very high up because beyond just the source material, which people who are really plugged into the, to the geek sphere, no, people really plugged in the geek sphere, understand no Dune. On top of that, when you're a cinephile and you understand all the things, you look at the producers of Dune, you look at the actors plugged into Dune this Dune movie. And most importantly, if you're a cinephile, you know, the director who is doing Dune, that's the most important piece. 
And so, no, I'm not at, at least in the least surprised that a lot of just average moviegoers don't have Dune very high up on their list right now. Hell, even I said on this show, I said the Dune trailer is great for people who know Dune. It wasn't a great trailer for people who know nothing about Dune. But that's fine because it's still so freaking far away that they'll have times to put out other trailers. So that's fine. Where I get a little bit more surprised is a lot of people I do know who are the more plugged in cinephiles, really understand geek culture. They do have D, uh, Dune ranked up much higher. I don't expect that from the average film fan right now, but I do expect it from them. I'm just kind of surprised that some people who travel, who are in these circles don't have it ranked higher because you should know. If you are plugged into these circles, you should know how good the source material is. You should know how impressive, because it's not just famous names. These are top-notch actors in Dune. These are some of the world's best actors in Dune right now. And you should know that maybe the most talented director currently working right this second uh, in Denis Villeneuve. I mean, that's up, that's up for debate, of course, but he is one of the best in the world right now. And if you understand that and you know that stuff, then you will have it higher on your list. But again, for average film fans, absolutely. I don't expect average film fans to be all that, have it high on their radar right now. But those plugged in, I do. And most of them are, but some aren't. So that's that's kind of the surprise for me. All right, next up. Uh, Chris Hunt writes, Hey, John and Rob, who's not here right now, uh, binging the events uh, or bringing bringing the events of the other day into movie realm without getting all political that looked like the first scene from argo holy f it did to me it looked more like the opening if you guys go back to that episode of the boys it's scary because the boys what did you have in that in that those that opening scene of that one episode you have highlander and uh and uh oh now i forget the name of uh, aya's uh, character storm storm Stormwatch, I can't even remember the name of the character now. Anyway, you have them spouting off all this fake propaganda, blah, 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 blah. And what happened? They had they had the viewer who was watching all of that and buying into it and getting in, incite, in, incited to going and doing violence and, and then killing somebody. And then we saw that play out in real life, right? It was, it was, I mean, it is what it is. And, and, uh, it was, it was shocking to see, but it is crazy when you go back and watch that episode of the boys again, that that's base. We just saw real life imitate art. It was kind of scary. Anyway, next up, uh, CJ Adams writes, what would you say to a Vader show that gives minimal? Well, everybody knows what I don't, I don't think they should do a Vader show. I've been asked that a thousand times just so you know, but let's finish with your thing that gives minimal insight into Vader, but is mainly focused on the Jedi. He hunts after three, after three, but before four, uh, this would be an easy way to use new characters, give them an episode or two and some powerful fight scenes. I don't think that's what makes a good show. I think those makes, I think that makes great YouTube videos. I don't think that makes a great show. A great show is character centric. A great show is about narrative. And when you build in some good action with it, then you got something, but the action should never be the the main course. That shouldn't be the single singular draw. I mean, quite frankly, really, if you look at Mandalorian, which is great, the action isn't the great. The action scenes in Mandalorian aren't the greatest. They have a couple of marquee moments like Boba Fett going to town on fools and they have some good action, but it's not like we were just watching John Wick other than that Boba Fett episode. That, that was pretty much John Wick in Star Wars. But I think when you're just going to 
Wouldn't it be cool to see Vader hunting and killing these Jedis? Well, yeah, but that's a YouTube video. It's it's not a series. At least that's my take on it. That's my take. I think you'd find, CJ, that a lot of people would probably share your opinion on that. But until I see a really good, compelling, narrative-driven, character-driven idea for a Vader show, uh, I'm, I'm perfectly good. We've gotten a lot of Vader. We've had tons of Vader. Vader's the greatest cinematic villain of all time, in my opinion, but I don't think we need a Vader show. But that's just me. That's just me. And maybe my mind could be changed. All right. Uh, Holid Love writes, was Wonder Woman actually flying like Superman or was she propelling herself forward with the lasso by Snicker grabbing lightning Snicker and falling with style as Woody would say about Buzz Lightyear? I, I've been asked that uh, several times in the last couple of weeks. To me, the movie clearly implied she was flying. Clearly. Falling with style means you're doing this, but doing so in style. Not necessarily this, but this in style. The lightning thing, I'll write off because somebody wrote in, you know, her dad is Zeus. And if Zeus can hold thunderbolts, why can't his daughter lasso something around thunderbolts, lightning bolts? All right, I'll give you that. that. That's a good explanation that I bought into. I buy into that. So I'm willing to let the lightning bolt and slinging her lasso around it and going across. I'm willing to let that one go because that's a good explanation that people gave. But in the movie, she wasn't doing this. She was doing this. And she wasn't just doing this by going, she was doing this while doing the classic Superman pose of flying, right? Now, to me, that clearly implies that she's flying. Because falling with style means you're kind of going downwards. And do it. But she was doing this with doing the Superman pose. That, to me, is a clear indication that she is flying. Now, maybe, and by the way, I think I heard Patty Jenkins confirm it. I think, I could be wrong about that. I need to go double check, but I believe I was reading an interview with her and she, yeah. So no, now she flies. Oh, so she, so it's confirmed. But anyway, even without that, I thought the movie clearly implied she was flying. Now, maybe they'll recant that. Maybe they'll say that wasn't the case. Fine. But if you just watch the movie and you got nothing else but the movie, she is clearly doing this, not falling, and she's doing the whole flying pose. And yes, she was also lassoing lightning and hurling herself forward and all that kind of stuff, but seemed pretty clear to me. Maybe they'll walk that back. We'll have to wait and see. Anyway, it's a good question, Holland. Next up, uh, we've got Emery who writes, love the show. Thank you so much, Emery. I have a huge recommendation for you. If you haven't seen BoJack Horseman, a lot of people mention that. Please watch it. It's my favorite show of all time, and it's severely underrated. Also, Dune and Better Call Saul season three are my most anticipated this year. Thanks. Yeah, I've had a lot of people recommend BoJack. Uh, I watched one episode of BoJack. I didn't think it was all that great, but I've heard from some people it wasn't the best episode that I saw and that overall it's really good. I I'll be honest with you. I have a lot of other shows on my list that I need to see. Uh, that I'm behind it because I spend most of my time watching movie stuff. But with it winning a lot of awards, and they just talked about it on the uh, recent, and the show just ended, I believe. It's probably one I'll have to check out at some point. Thank you. And listen, Dune is my number one most anticipated of the year as well. As far as on TV, again, it's it's, it's Falcon and Winter Soldier is probably my, the thing I'm looking forward to the most. Until they announce the Sons of Anarchy revival, that's one I'm looking forward to the most. <clears throat> All right, next up. Miguel Zayan writes, Hey, John, 
Now that you've intrigued me on who this mysterious Star Wars writer is, I just want to ask, not about Rogue Squadron, could you see Tarantino directing an episode of Mando? Maybe season four? Maybe Rodriguez could persuade him uh, since they're buddies. Just one episode, John. Just one. Well, Rodriguez has no no influence over um, over Mandalorian. Um, he's going to be working on, he's going to be working as a producer on something else. Was it Mandalorian? Anyway, it's not going to be his choice. It's going to be Favreau's choice. I know. I don't see Tarantino doing that. I don't see Tarantino coming in to do an episode of a star Wars show. Not that I wouldn't be intrigued to see it. I certainly wouldn't want him writing one. I, I think if he's going to come in and direct like a John Favreau written episode, I'd be down for that, but I just don't see Tarantino wanting to do it. It'd be awesome because he and like, yeah, him and Robert Rodriguez are buddies, but they're very, very different people and they're very different directors. And so, yeah, while I would be down for it, I, I just don't see Tarantino wanting to do it. And I, I could totally see Favreau being intrigued by having him come in to do it. I just don't see it being some, I think Tarantino would want to write the episode and that's not something I think Favreau would let him do. So Probably not going to happen, but who knows? We've been surprised by other things before. I, again, I'd be up for it. All right. Just in time to chat writes. Hey, John and Rob, Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me is my all time favorite comedy. It's it's pretty damn funny. Uh, the scene when Austin and the chick are in the tent is the funniest scene in any movie for me, period. Uh, kills me every time. Do you guys like Austin Powers? Thanks. Oh, I love Austin Powers. Austin Powers is great. And you know what? It still holds up. I watched the first Austin Powers again probably about a year or so ago, and I I expected okay some of these jokes are going to be dated, but you know what? It was still it was still held up for me. I still loved it. I would give anything. Well, not anything, but there's not a lot I wouldn't give. Um, to have Michael Myers come back and do another Austin Powers movie. I mean, I just want him to come back. Period. Uh, good Canadian kid, but what I wouldn't give for him to come back and do an Austin Powers movie. I, I think that the world needs an Austin Powers for the world needs it. And I would be totally down for him. So yes, dude, I, I, I love the joke. And are you, do you have a little clone in you? No. Would you like to ha! again? One of the, one of the funniest jokes I've ever heard in movies. It's a great, great joke. It's the one they did with Michael Caine where Michael Caine plays Austin's father. And it's just the big line. I mean, we've heard it a million times now because there are two things that I cannot abide. One, intolerance of other people's cultures. And the second, the Dutch. I don't know why. I just, whenever I see Michael Caine say that line, I just about fall on the floor and pass out from laughing so hard. It's just, it just is what it is. All right, next up. Uh, Enrique writes, Hey, John, I uh, recently watched Ready Player One. This movie is freaking amazing to me. I love that movie. Uh, so much pop culture in one movie just overloads, overloads my nerd brain. The first race scene has to be one of my favorite scenes in a movie. It's adrenaline pumping and the visuals. Listen, I went into Ready Player One having never read the book myself. I, I heard some chunks of it because Anne would listen to the audiobook every morning when she would be getting ready. So I would hear a bunch of it, but I wasn't, I didn't really know Ready Player One. I knew what it was about. Obviously it was a very popular book and I went and watched the movie. I was blown away by it. I had so much fun with that movie. And seriously, it just highlights again, Spielberg can do anything. He can do period piece. He can do sci-fi. He can do fantasy. He can do adaptation. He can do drama. He can do whatever. He can do it all. 
Spielberg can do everything. There is nothing Spielberg cannot do as a filmmaker. It's absolutely amazing. And Ready Player One was absolutely one of those films that that really just affirmed that for me as well, Enrique. So I completely agree with you. Thanks for writing that in, man. Brian O'Connor writes, I never understood your criticism of Ezra Miller. I never understood your criticism of Ezra Miller having comic writer Grant Morrison write a screenplay for The Flash. How is this any different than Ryan Reynolds developing his own Deadpool like Ezra? Ryan was just an actor for hire at one point because you're completely missing the point, Brian. I would listen if everything was just in a vacuum. And they were needing a movie developed. And Ezra Miller said, hey, I'm, I'm going to work with Grant Morrison. We're going to develop a thing and, and we're going to take it to the studios and see if we can get a movie made. Ryan Reynolds was the spearhead of Deadpool. He got the writers together. They wrote the movie. They pitched it. They got the movie made. Great. The Ezra Miller situation was completely different. And remember, I am a fan of Ezra Miller as The Flash. I am one of the few people who really like Ezra Miller's Flash. A lot of people get mad at me when I say that, but it's true. I really like his version of Flash. I'm not saying I like it better than like Grant Gustin's in the TV Flash, but these, those are two completely different iterations of the character. So they're completely different. You can't compare them. I love Ezra Miller's Flash, but the situation with Ezra Miller was completely different. Ezra Miller was acting like a diva little wannabe because, the, listen, the studio already had the directors and the studio had their script. It was done. It was set. The directors knew which way they wanted to go. They're the directors. That's their job. They had the script they wanted. Everything was set. What Ezra Miller did was undermine the directors and undermine the project by saying, I don't want it to be like this. I'm an actor. I'm important. And tried to undermine these two really good directors who were working together on it and said, well, I want you to do my movie, do mine, do mine, not this one. I like this one more. And as a result, the, the director said, bye, we're, we're not going to work with this dude. Bye. We're out. We're out. And ultimately they didn't end up using his script. They ultimately didn't end up using his script anyway. That's the problem I have. I have no problem. It's like, hey, I hear Warner Brothers wants to do Flash movie and, and I'm playing Flash. Well, I've got an idea and I'll work with this movie and we'll take it to Warner Brothers and say, hey, if you're thinking about doing one, here's an idea. I would have had no problem with that. That's not the problem. The problem is they had their directors, they had their, and Ezra Miller going, I'm more important because I'm a famous actor, so I'm important. I want to do my movie. And undermined, uh, undermined the directors that were there and try to get his own freaking way because he didn't like something that was in it that to me, honestly, I, I, if I was a director, I would never work with him. As a fan, I look forward to watching him play Flash. If I was a director, I would never work with Ezra Miller after that stunt. Because what's ever to tell me or guarantee to me, you're not going to throw me under the bus next. But yeah, again, Brian, they were complete. Uh, you're, you're misunderstanding what it is I found was the offense. The offense wasn't, hey, just as an actor, I think I have an idea and I'm going to work with a writer and we're going to get a script. There's nothing wrong with that. What is wrong with that is you had the movie set up. You had directors in place. They had already gone through several sets of directors. They had it in place. They had their script. And Ezra Miller going, I don't like it. I want mine. And, you know, threw other people under the bus. That, to me, I didn't like. I didn't like that at all. And yet I still, as a fan, I'm looking forward to seeing him play Flash. But that, to me, was... Uh, 
was a little diva. Was a little diva-ish of him. And uh, that's that's the part to me that I find really unattractive. You know what I mean? Anyway, that's just me. All right, Brian O'Connor also writes, I rewatched Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman. I feel like Diane Lane is underappreciated as Martha Kent. Oh, her and Pa Kent are great. They're both great. Like, I, I think Pa and Ma Kent were wonderful in that. And then, of course, they just did another movie together, too. Anyway, Diane Lane is underappreciated as Martha Kent. We don't talk about her enough. Diane and Henry's chemistry is amazing. These films made me realize the importance of Ma and Pa Kent to the life and character of Cal. Hey, listen, that's just one of the things that made me love Man of Steel the, the way that I do. You guys know me. Man of Steel is the most underappreciated comic book film of all time. I think it's one of the best comic book films of all time. Everybody disagrees with me. That's perfectly fine. And again, when you carry that into then Batman versus Superman, yeah, Diane Lane is great in that too. She's great in that. I think she's fantastic. I think the chemistry she has with Henry Cavill was fantastic. And, you know, the chemistry she and Kevin Costner had was fabulous. And I love them both. I think they're both pivotal, pivotal, pivotal characters. And I think they were both done really, really well, Brian. I, I agree with you 100%. All right, next up, Chris writes, Hey, John, love all that you do. Thank you so much, Chris. Do you uh, do you have a favorite Akira Kurosawa film at all? I still haven't seen all his stuff, but so far my favorite is Seven Samurai. I mean, that's the thing. Whenever I always feel like, like if you're a nerd and involved in geek culture and people say, what's your favorite movie? Saying Star Wars sounds like it's just a cop out, but it really is what my favorite one is. Whenever Kurosawa comes up, you know, it seems like the the default cop-out answer is Seven Samurai. But it really is my favorite one of his. Um, so not to mention, speaking of Star Wars and Kurosawa, you know, Kurosawa was a major influence on Star Wars. Um, so anyway, yeah, I am with you, Chris. I'm with you at Seven Samurai. He has several other great ones, but Seven Samurai is the one I generally go to. All right, Michelle just writes in a tip for $35 just to support the channel. Thank you so much, Michelle. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for being here, and thank you for supporting our channel like that. And you didn't even write in a question. You just wanted to support the show. Thank you for that very, very much. Um, next up, again, thank you, Michelle. That's great. Um, Jesse writes, if you were a career filmmaker, would you rather have a steady career of just okay movies, 30 to 60%. I don't know if 30% is an okay movie. 50% is an okay movie. Anyway, uh, Rotten Tomatoes score range. Or make a masterpiece. I'm talking Lawrence of Arabia levels, iconic here. Early in your career and never have the same success again. Um, That's a good question. I think if, if we're talking about a career, then you want some consistency in a career. But l listen, 30% is not okay. You know, 50% is the okay line. 50, 55, 60, that's okay. Less than 50, that's not okay. That's that's not acceptable. So it depends on what you're asking. Would I rather have a long, okay career, some hits, some misses, things like that, or have one brilliant masterpiece and nothing else again? Honestly, I'd rather have the career. I'd rather have some longevity. So... Understanding that it's still very difficult even to make an okay movie, um, not 30%, but like 50 to 60, just to make an okay movie is kind of an accomplishment. And if I could make a career where I steady was reliably making okay movies, I think I would rather take that than the one big, huge, 
Lawrence of Arabia level thing in Daipur. I don't know. Again, you're asking me about career paths, not artistic aspirations. So I'll, I'll go with that, Jesse. Interesting question. All right, next up, James Argenta writes, WandaVision predictions. Uh, I think that the first six episodes will be 30 minutes and final three an hour. Uh, number two, uh, the each of the first six will be an homage to sitcoms of various decades. First for 50s, second for 60s, third for 70s, and etc. Three will get cameos from sitcom veterans. That's interesting. I, I heard a report saying that the first three episodes will be about 30 minutes in length. But here's the thing. I do not think WandaVision is an homage to the old sitcoms. Because that suggests that the point of WandaVision is about honoring old sitcoms. I just think sitcoms are going to work into what the overall narrative is of WandaVision. So I don't think they'll take the sitcom stuff so far that WandaVision becomes about those sitcoms. That's what I, I don't think that's what WandaVision is going to be. And we'll know enough in four days. But I don't think that's what WandaVision is going to be. I think WandaVision is going to be a Wanda show, a vision show that will happen to be in a wrapping of the sitcom analogy is going to be something that illustrates the paradigm that she's in, but I don't think it's going to be all about sitcoms. You know what I mean? So it'll be interesting to see where we go. Uh, they could do half hour episodes, hour long at the end, maybe, I guess. But again, I don't even think the running length of it is going to have anything to do with sitcoms. Again, a lot of Mandalorian episodes ran around the 30 minute mark and they weren't you know, homages to sitcoms. So we'll have to see, but we're only days away now, James. We're only days away from WandaVision stopping. I cannot wait or starting, I should say. All right. Henri Mertens writes, Hey, John, uh, do you put short round and Willie on the same level as Jar Jar Binks? No, not at all. They were, they were meaningful contributing characters to, to those movies. I may be in the minority, but I think both of them screaming throughout the Temple of Doom ruins the film way more than Jar Jar ruins Phantom Menace. I completely disagree. I mean, it's all subjective and hey, that's how you see it. That's great. But I thought both Willie and short round were like integral parts to the story. And I thought they both added a lot of fun, wonderful character to the story. I cannot say that about Jar Jar. Again, that's a subjective opinion. That's totally a subjective opinion. But I just can't say the same about Jar Jar. I don't think he added anything to the movies. But that's just me. That doesn't mean you have to feel the same way. Whereas Willie and Short Round, love them. A lot of people to this day love Short Round. So, no, I wouldn't. Personally, I wouldn't equate them. But it's totally cool that you do, Henri. I'm glad you did. And thank you for sharing your opinion on that. All right. Just got time for a couple more here, guys. When it comes to Wonder Woman being bulletproof, can I just say I think it's cooler if she's not? Like, how much more badass is the nomad, no man land scene in Wonder Woman if she knows she could die from one bullet, pushes forward anyway? I completely agree. 1,000% agree with you, Jesse. Right? If, like, why, if she's bulletproof, why, you know, walk forward with the shield and all that kind of stuff blocking it? There's no threat. Like, her getting, there was no bravery if she's just bulletproof, her jumping out of that foxhole and doing that march in the in the battle scene, there's, there's no bravery there. That isn't her being courageous. That's not being brave. It's just whatever. I always interpret it as, yeah, she is risking her life for this grand cause. For this, for being a hero. And so my, I still interpret everything in Wonder Woman that she is not bulletproof. 
That's why we see her always actively needing to block stuff. And the bullet piercing her skin in Wonder Woman 84, I interpret that as her loss of power manifesting by her inability to block it, not her loss of power that magically now her skin is suddenly vulnerable. I saw her losing power manifested in her inability to block it, not in the bullet piercing her skin. So I think that is a excellent observation, Jesse. I think your comparison there is right on the money and I agree with you a thousand percent. All right, next up, Jesse also writes, uh, we've also seen that um, Amazonians in general aren't bulletproof in the first movie. This is tr excellent point are not bulletproof um, in general in the first movie when the Germans show up to the beach and arrow lady gets shot. Now, whether or not Diana counts as normal Amazonian, I don't know, but there's precedent that she's not bulletproof. I agree. That said, we do have to remember that she herself is the daughter of Zeus. Not all the Amazonians are demigods. She's a demigod. So there is a difference there. There is a difference. However, it's still something to keep, to keep in mind. In that original scene, we never saw bullets bouncing off her on the beach. We saw other Amazonians get shot. And again, we fast forward later in the same movie to that battlefield scene. We fast forward into Wonder Woman 84. I, I My interpretation until Patty Jenkins tells us otherwise is that in the movies, she is not bulletproof. I don't care what she is in the, in the comics. That's irrelevant. Comics are the comics. Movies are the movies. Until Patty Jenkins says otherwise, uh, my interpretation is that um, she is not bulletproof. Anyway, excellent observation, Jesse. All right, next up and final question of the day. Thoughts on Cobra Kai season three. I don't watch it. Uh, I know you don't talk uh, about the series much, though. Ironically, your video discussing the show's initial announcement way back in 2017 is the second most popular on your channel with over 810,000 views. Thanks. I mean, listen, I was more excited. I, I won't take that title. I was as excited as anybody when they announced Cobra Kai. I thought it was a flat out brilliant idea. I, I was so excited for the show. It's not for me. I, I tried watching the first three, four, five episodes, and I just could not get into it. I, it just didn't click for me. And that's okay. That's okay. We all have great masterpiece stuff that just doesn't work for us. You know, Blade Runner, the, the original Blade Runner is one of those for me. Uh, and Cobra Kai is just one of those for me. Doesn't just didn't work for me. Now, my wife loves it. My wife, when season three dropped, man, she binged that shit immediately. Uh, she loves Cobra Kai. Our friend Kaori loves Cobra Kai. They all love Cobra Kai. Just wasn't for me. So, I mean, I saw some of season three because, you know, I'd be around the room when Ann was watching it. But honestly, I, I didn't watch it much. So the reason I don't talk about Cobra Kai much is just because the show wasn't for me. So I never really watched it other than the first number of episodes. And I know a lot of people love it. And that's awesome. I'm not saying this show sucks. I'm just saying it didn't click for me. That's all. And uh, I wish I could. Uh, I wish I could uh, say that it did, but it didn't. All right, guys, listen. That will do it for me for this pre-recorded installment of the John Campion Show. Thank you so much for being here. Listen, there are still a lot of questions to go, so we are going to do a companion video a little bit later today, and we will get caught up on all the questions that you guys have sent in. So if you didn't see your question answered in this video, keep your eyes open on the channel for another one that will come a little bit later today. A good way to make sure you're aware of when that new video drops Go ahead and click on that subscribe button. Again, become a subscriber to the YouTube channel. Click the notification bell. It'll keep you up to date with a lot of kind of stuff. And again, we will get that companion video up a little bit later today. But since today's show is pre-recorded, 
I just wanted to, you know, cut it just a little bit shorter than normal. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you to Robert Meyer Burnett for bringing his greatness to the show. And a special thank you to all of you guys who sent in those live comments and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, because you supported this channel while you did it. And all of us here, thank you very, very much for that. Okay, guys, that'll do it for me. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.